If you have to decide between overspending and oversleeping, choose the comfy option. Ultimate sleep comfort has never been more affordable than with Nectar's Labor Day weekend sale. $499 in accessories plus an additional $200 off. Every Nectar mattress comes with a 365-night home trial, forever warranty, and free shipping and returns when you shop from the convenience of your own home at Nectarsleep.com. Join over 2 million happy sleepers that dream on Nectar mattresses and save up to $699. Hurry, offer ends September 5th. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mossy Audio again. Um, this is another listener podcast, uh, and I w- happily welcomed uh, Dr. Arafat Muller in to speak to us today. Um, he's a respiratory specialist. Uh, he's done some work um, when he was a student with McLaren as well, so any of you that are into Formula One like I am, that was really interesting. We also had a really, really interesting conversation about... Um, coronavirus stuff uh and how things are at the hospital he's working at um and it was just it was just an all around good chat so i hope you enjoy it if you do enjoy what i'm doing please go over to the patron look for mussy audio uh, and sign up to one of the tiers it'll help me out a great deal doing the stuff i'm doing seeing as how this is what i do now because i'm not allowed to go to work at the moment so yeah if you can go and sign up to um the patron I will be very appreciative, like not in a weird sexual way, but and I'm, I don't do the whole nude photos thing, but I'll give you loads of podcasts. Yeah. Bye. Cool. Well, I'm with Arafat today, and we're uh, we're gonna have a couple of couple of questions, like listener based stuff, because uh, I'm doing these listener based conversations now. Um, you messaged me the other day and said that you used to work um, for McLaren. Well, not work. Um, well, at, at so McLaren. Yeah, I wangled my way in as a student. Um, so I went to university at St Andrews, where I studied medicine. Yeah. And in third year, you do a, a project block where you write about something boring like a piece of anatomy or, I don't know, some boring ion or something. And I thought, well, why don't I do something I'm interested in? And I thought, why don't I do something about the theory of medicine in Formula One drivers? So I started writing something about dehydration or whatever. And I thought maybe I could use this as a chance to just, I don't know, visit one of the teams. So I emailed it to every team up and down the country. And... Uh, no one replied apart from Red Bull. They just said, no, not interested, go away. And uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> McLaren, uh, I couldn't find a, a specific email address to send send it to anyone, but I knew they had a team doctor. So I thought, what if I just try first name dot last name at McLaren.com? I wonder if that's how, how their system works. And apparently it is. <laughs> so he replied. That, yeah. That's very much, the, I don't know whether you listen to the Three Legs, Four Wheels Um podcast were uh, the first one we did with virtual Statman. 
uh, I, I've only started listening to you guys in the last sort of six months, so I've not I've not gone backwards yet. No, well, he he basically just emailed the um, uh, oh, it was like one of the head tech guys for um, oh, what's the American sports sports network? C- ESPN or something. ESPN. Oh, oh no, sorry, it was CNN. C- not CNN. Oh, right, right. Whatever whatever the network was that was covering Formula One, and he did the same thing you did and kind of guessed the email yeah. address and sent his CV over. <laughs> yeah. So I got to go down, and um, I basically, uh, Dr. Hintza, Aki, he, he called me down and said, all right, show me what you've done. And I was talking about the theory of dehydration and all of that. And, okay, we've got all this data from Hickey and Jensen and Lewis. Why don't you turn it turn it into something real um so i wrote that up for them and um i remember he, he he made me show it to ron dennis so aki's office was there's a square part of the mtc and aki would sit sort of opposite where ron was and ron came across and i think i was everything ron dennis didn't really want um i had like a goatee because I, I i was still i can't remember how old i was i was like 19 to, I, I couldn't grow hair on the right side of my face at that point in time so I just used to have a goatee. Um, <laughs> I'd just come out of hospital. And, you know, in a hospital, you've got to um, have your sleeves rolled up. Yeah. So that that's just how I dressed. No tie, no full sleeve, all of that kind of thing. And I just walked in and he just, he looked kind of disgusted to see me. <laughs> he picked up the report. He thumbed through the whole thing in about two seconds, shook my hand and then just walked out. <laughs> no way. Not even a word. <laughs> Well, he just kind of looked at me. I think he said, all right, or yes. He, he sort of spoke to Aki, but not me. He just kind of looked at me and then just walked out. Um, it's yeah. it's an imposing place anyway, isn't it? I've, yeah. I, I've been around the MTC before because I interviewed yeah. uh, Lando. And yes. um, it, I, I was instantly, I, I've never felt more uh, of like impersonator syndrome as I did yeah. when I walked in that place. I, I instantly knew I didn't belong where I was. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. My, my favorite MTC story, though, was going to the toilet and then Martin Whitmarsh being in there. And I was like, oh, I can't pee now. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have worried about it at that time. It was going to be a revolving door of bosses yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, sh- I should have realized. So how, how, how long were you working with McLaren like, on that? So it was all just while I was an undergraduate. Um, Aki had a clinic set up in Geneva as well. Um, so I got to go out there, um, and see what they were up to with the other drivers and, you know, show me around sort of Sebastian Vettel's helmet and all these sort of things. And they explained what they were doing with the drivers, the junior driver program. And from my point of view, I wasn't particularly helpful. It was just lots of student projects and things and feeding into bigger work that they were already doing. But for someone that was at uni, it was just a huge opportunity and it was amazing to see all the background stuff. Because um, I only started watching Formula One in 2007, and then suddenly 2008, this happened. Um, so it was it was it was a huge crash course in what Formula One was. Um, and you know they used to take me around uh, the gyms and all the sort of stuff. That, and I think I spoke with was it Oliver Rowland that was there at the time, and I met with Nick DeVries, but he was about 12 at the time. <laughs> um, and it was just lots of little things that I probably now, having graduated and actually knowing what I'm doing, sort of, um, I would have probably made more of it. Um, but I just got to do all this stuff um, until until Aki sadly died in 2016. Mm. Um, 
but it, it was just an amazing opportunity. So, uh, with the dehydration stuff, were you looking at um, like what drivers were losing during the race? And yeah, what, so they, how they had all of that anyway. It? Yeah. Um, so it, I was looking at trying to come up with a formula to predict how much they would lose based on you know what the temperature would be, what the humidity would be, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then the other project I did was looking at cortisol levels, so the stress hormone, mm-hmm. and how that changes um, based on where you're traveling to. So it, there's huge fluctuation. Basically, some people respond very well, very well to stress. It puts your performance up, and some people crumble under stress. Mm. That's sort of common sense, but it was about putting a number to that and identifying who did well, who didn't do well. So we looked at pit stop times and um, all the all the pit crew would like spit into little plastic tubes and post them to me. And I used to keep them all in my freezer. It was really glamorous. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so we tested all of these and got everyone's cortisol levels. And you could see as you moved further uh, east, the, the variation became more and more and it became more obvious who was performing well under jet lag conditions and who wasn't. Um, and so they use that sort of data to basically get faster and faster at pit stops. Um, and I think they introduced, that's when Aki started introducing all the stuff about, you know, blue lights and psychology for the pit crew and all this kind of stuff. And soon after that, it was, I think they hit the two second pit stop. Um, so not to say that the work I did was massively important in that, but I think it was just the attitude of how Formula One teams do things. They they pay attention to every small detail and then the sum of it adds up. Well, there was definitely that point, wasn't there? It's, it's some some place where um, may, maybe it was the, the point of kind of reaching the ceiling of fitness for what they can do with a driver, a driver yeah. but then all of a sudden the other team members became athletes as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's... As far as the um, like the traveling thing, what's the reason for that? Like, why why would it change so much? With is it just a, just a matter of tiredness or? So there's lots of different theories. I think one's a matter of tiredness. Two's how well you prepare for moving across. Um, and then there's there's things called chronotypes. So you know you hear like genotype, phenotype. So chronotype is um, a fancy way of saying are you a morning person? Are you a night owl? That kind of things. So even down to genetic level, people will some people will perform better in jet lag conditions and others won't. And a lot of what I looked at actually came from uh, baseball in America because you got east to west travel. Um, and depending on which way a team goes, uh, you actually get an advantage for moving against the, the jet lag, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of a well-recognized thing. Uh, in baseball because America's so big and it was just sort of putting that theory into place with regards to Formula 1 because they're obviously travelling much bigger distances. That's amazing. It's, it, these are the sort of things that you don't think about with Formula 1 because you're so... It's so driver-focused driver and yeah. if you shift your glance slightly, then it's just car performance and you don't really think of the sort of human element behind that. Yeah. Um, what did you... Uh, did you think about them going to Australia in amongst the sort of Corona stuff? So, um, I was late to the coronavirus game. Mm. I think I, sorry, sorry, just to put, just to put in there, it'd probably be quite good for listeners if you told them what you specialize in. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a doctor. I'm a 
uh, respiratory medicine trainee working in uh, all the hospitals around the northwest of England. So I'm in a, a DGH at the moment, or District General Hospital, and I've actually got it up here. So I was, I was sat uh, an email. Um, I was sat on the 29th of February writing up a quality improvement project for my consultants, and I emailed them, and I ended the email with, the new Formula One season starts in 13 days. The hospital will have my peak attention for 13 days. Following this, all non-Formula One related activities will be less interesting to me. Um, and wow, was I very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was lulled into a false sense of security because I, I remember, you know, when Ebola was a big thing. Yeah. So I was a, a, a a junior in infectious disease. And I remember my infectious disease ward had all these drills and practices and all of this. And there's all these protocols and policies. You take, you you take all the boxes for somebody to speak to right now, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. But it, but it never came. Do you know what I mean? Like I know there were Ebola cases in the UK and I think the bit of my head that was in denial was like, well, it'll be like that again. Like it's obviously a huge problem, Mm. but why would it be my problem? Same with SARS uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I, that's how I thought of it initially. And then I think um, it was, well, I think it was 12th of March. Um, one of the nurses came up to me and went, we've been asked to clear out all the side rooms and discharge patients as quick as possible so that we've got the side rooms available if any of these coronavirus patients show up. And I was like, really? Why, why would they be here? Um like I know London might have a couple of stuff by that point, but uh, you know we're we're in the middle of nowhere. Why why would we have something? Um, and we went to teaching that day, and we were just chatting about oh, what would we do if coronavirus came here and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly one of the consultants went, oh, McLaren's pulled out, and that was the first moment in my head that I thought, okay, that this is much bigger. Mm. Um, because obviously the the financial implications and things to Formula One teams. Um, I thought that that wouldn't have been done lightly. I um, I, I know what you mean because it was when um, when for, when things were going wrong with Formula One being out in Australia. There was that little yeah. little part of me that thought, well, you know, you, you've got a paddock full of some of the richest, most powerful people in the world that are yeah. involved in Formula One, and th- you know th- these people are so much more connected than probably most politicians are. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it confused me that Formula One had managed to get itself over there and then all the wheels fall off everything. Yeah, and um, I think, because I was, I was just looking through, I've started keeping a diary, just, I've never done it before, but I thought I should just work out what's going on with this coronavirus thing. And for everything that's happened in the last three weeks, it blows my mind that it's only been three weeks. I've learned more and done more in the last three weeks than I probably have done in the last seven years. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but I've, I've gone through all the emotions sort of anger, denial, panic. Um, and I think I'm, I'm starting to settle in quiet confidence because I think everyone's, it's, it's weird. You start meeting all these people in the hospital that you've never seen before, you know, managers and um, communications people and people that run the hospital app or whatever. And it's amazing how much everyone is bringing to the table. Mm. Um, so tomorrow we start from, from myself as one of the respiratory juniors and the other ones, we're going to start a sort of 24 seven, um, rota that just is going to run indefinitely until this all calms down. But I think the systems that have been put in place, like I've, I've been put in touch with the informatics guys at 
the hospital you know the geeks that run the computer stuff yeah um and it it's amazing in in this matter of four or five days they were able to develop a tracker for us so that in the hospital we can track anyone that's come in that's suspected that's got it um if they're enrolled in research trial all this cool stuff that we can do and just monitor them all remotely um and it took them about four days to make that and that's amazing like i've never seen anything happen in four days before <laughs> and, you, know, you struggle to get an x-ray in four days let alone develop an entirely new computer system yeah it's, well, it, it's the thing isn't it of necessity being the mother of invention yeah. so um i'm quietly confident but i'm sure i'll get to work tomorrow and suddenly everything will crash because t- today and yesterday and friday the first couple of days i've had off i think in the last three weeks i've had three days off um so it's been really nice to not be at work and just sit at home watching Tiger King all day. <laughs> Tiger King has, I think, has been the escape of quite a few people at the moment, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think with that, I'm just I'm much more calm and and ready for the fight. Whereas on Thursday, I was just like, oh my god, I'm so tired. I can't I can't deal with this anymore. So is is the many cases you're dealing with? Yeah, um, uh, it's sort of in the dozens at the minute, mm-hmm. but I reckon. Um, this week we'll probably go over a hundred. Yeah, and my my hospital's got about seven hundred beds, just under that. So, well, one in seven patients, I think, will be this week. Wow. And we'll see how how many it grows to. And then I take it it's a case then of um, wait because what, what we've been in lockdown now, haven't we? For essentially just over a week. Is it over a week? Or yeah. Is it, yeah. Um, yeah. And from what I've I've sort of gathered, the idea is from from that point we expect numbers to rise for two weeks plateau for two weeks and then that's hopefully when we'll see see the start on a flat of a flattening of it yeah um that's what the theory is but then every time because you say to people because everyone goes oh you know the data shows x the data shows y and i keep going what data where, where are we getting this from mm. um so i feel very much like i don't know what's going on from that point of view, I, I I was talking to someone else yesterday about this, and I said, you know, when when you people think be, being a doctor is a, like being house or something, you know, it's all super interesting and all of that, but actually, it's it's seeing the same things again and again. It's very very repetitive, yeah. and you get very good at those those few things. So, you know, from my point of view, I just see asthma, emphysema, all that kind of stuff again and again and again. And when you first start as a doctor, you're just constantly worried that. I'm going to kill someone or I'm going to miss something that's really important, you know, something like that. Whereas by now, you know, if I see someone with asthma, if I see someone with heart failure or whatever, I'm, you know, sometimes it goes well for the patient, sometimes it doesn't, but I can see it coming from a mile away. Mm -hmm. And I know, well, this is just how it's worked out for this person, sadly because of X, Y, Z, but I know we've done all the right things. Whereas with this, I've suddenly gone back to feeling like that person that's just graduated and having no idea about it because it's so new and i'm going well should we be doing x should we be doing y and then you know different different bits of research come out and some people say you should do this do that and so trying to keep up with it is very very difficult well that's what entertains me when you look at it um on a political level when you see yeah. everyone everyone is complaining about how every single country has handled what they're doing yeah. But as you say, there's no there's no precedent for this. There's no like protocols no. in place for it. I'm sure there's been dozens of models run on things like this. But as soon as you're looking at like losing human life and then the what damages that does do to the economy and how do you balance that out? Um, I I've no wonder how like people are making impossible decisions 
on a yeah. daily basis. And I, I don't know how they how they do that, to be honest, and manage to sleep at night, you know, with that sort of pressure. I think um, I, before all of this, you know, it's very normal and easy for people to always criticise. You know, even I've done it, you know, you criticise the management in your own hospital or politics or whatever. And, oh, if I if I was prime minister, I'd do X, Y, Z. Um, but the amount of decisions you're having to make in a day and people just asking you things that you have no idea about. So, you, you know, this all this stuff about PPE is going on right now, yeah. personal protective equipment. And people are obviously scared and nervous about, am I doing the right thing? Am I not? And you're trying to give them information. Oh, you should do this, do that. And people start asking about, what, what do we do with linen? And as like a junior doctor, I've never thought about hospital linen before, but there's mm-hmm. an entire system set up for that. And it, the, that sort of decision fatigue is very, very real. Uh, and I'm not envious of anyone uh, in a higher position than me at the minute. Yeah, the, the PPE one's a funny, funny one. Because I've, I've, oddly enough, today I was reading about um, they, there's kind of been a change with people um wearing masks now now i think the recommendation yeah. is to wear some sort of mask but it struck me that the the worry for say of telling people not to wear masks is so people masks is so people didn't run out bulk by so you guys didn't have any well i think there's lots of reasons there's one there's that but also the the research around masks is a little bit confusing because the whole idea is to keep your hands away from your face mm-hmm so if you've got something on, even if you tie a scarf around your face, you're less likely to bring your hands, like, you know, eat something while you're out in public or, I don't know, sniff your fingers for whatever reason you're doing that for. Um, <laughs> I, I do. So it, I to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but the problem is if there's something on your face, you're more likely to start fidgeting with it. Mm-hmm. And so now suddenly your hands are coming near your face when they weren't before. Um, and I see, you know, the, the, the a lot of people say, oh, is this sort of PP enough? Is that enough? All of this. And I, from my perspective, the bigger problem is for what we do have, I can still see people not using it correctly. So, you know, people will put a mask on, do whatever they're doing, and then they pull it down. They've got it around their neck and they go off to the canteen or whatever. And the analogy I keep trying to give to people, it's a little bit disgusting, but it's, it's the only way I seem to be getting the point across is if I've got to do a rectal exam, I'm obviously going to put gloves on. And then once I'm finished, I get rid of the glove and wash my hands, right? Yeah. I this situation so. is people Exactly. So this situation is people putting the gloves on for the rectal exam and then going, Well, I've got to do another rectal exam after lunch. And I need to wear gloves for that. So I may as well just keep these gloves on with me, go to the canteen, <laughs> have lunch and co- that's that's what I'm seeing. And I think it's all fine and well arguing about is this enough or is that enough? But actually for whatever you do have, just use it properly in the first place. Um otherwise you're likely to cause way more harm because I think people are scared and they're taking things into their own hands. They're deviating from the rules, Mm. which may or may not be perfect. But I think there's a big risk of causing more harm by deviating than, you know, there's a place to debate whether or not the rules are correct. But when everyone starts doing their own thing, I think the overall harm is bigger. How do you feel about the risk element? Because I was looking at the, um, is it, was it from the um, London uh, Centre of Disease Control that put a paper out the other day? I, I can't remember yeah. what the place was called. And they estimated that the, globally there could be between 7 and 40 million um, cases. And obviously yeah. that, that that's such a big gap. But even um, 
when you look at like the official numbers to even if it's just at the bottom as being like seven million people yeah. the uh like the mortality rate than what we were worried about drops right down how much how are you, are you worried about the sort of mortality rate and what you think it might be to what sort of the me- the media is i i i think might maybe being the most irresponsible thing out of everything here because yeah it's whipping the fear where uh, the fear wheels yeah. up something rotten um i think the fear is big and every now and again it creeps into your head as well not so much about yourself but you know you, you start thinking about your family members or your mm-hmm. friends and that kind of thing um and I've gotten in the last couple of weeks very good at just thinking about, well, if I can't control it, don't think about it. I've got my one hospital, my patients. What can we do to do the best for them? And we start thinking about our system. So, you know, if if we've, we've rejigged, we've got three respiratory wards, so we've rejigged them um, so we can put all the, the most sick people in one place and that kind of thing. And what we've done wouldn't apply to another hospital or the whole country or whatever, but it's just about trying to control what you can so that even if the numbers are terrible you know that you've not added to it by even one by being negligent in your own area Mm -hmm. and that's that's the way i'm sort of trying to get through it just control what you can control uh, and make sure you do your best in your patch do you think there's enough um what's, what's the right words do you think there's enough manpower to to handle what's coming uh, you know, do you think it's going to, is it going to come in a sort of manageable volume or are, are you worried about an, uh, like an uh, Italy situation where the health service is swamped? Um, I think we're, we're probably better off than what happened in Italy because we've had a bit of warning. Mm-hmm. Um, from my point of view, it's, it's almost like, you know, we're going back to these formula one teams, they do things in the most efficient way pro- po- possible. So, the first thing we did was we created that computer system to say we're not physically going to be able to look at all of these patients um, as, you know, the respiratory experts, if you like. But we know everyone in the hospital can, and what we can do is remotely monitor them and um, give advice on the ones that we think are sickest or go out and retrieve the ones who we think aren't doing well and bring them back to our ward and that kind of thing. So I think it's about creating systems where, the manpower you do have you using in the most efficient way possibly. Um, and you see doctors being redeployed, you know, being pulled off other specialities and things. Um, so I think there is preparation going in and there's a feeling sometimes with some people that we maybe have over-prepared because half our wards are empty now. There's, you know, way too many doctors at the front door waiting for patients to come in. All the patients that normally come in with their heart attacks and whatever else have all seemed to disappeared. And it's, it's that feeling of just before tsunami hits the wave, you know, the water goes out. Mm. That's where we're at at the minute. London, you know, the wave has started to hit, but up in the North, the wave is definitely out and we don't know how big it's going to be when it comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel we've put things in place and we're ready. How big that wave will be. I don't know. Um, but I think we're 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 prepared. I think somewhere like London, it's always going to be um, there's always going to be a problem, isn't there? Especially when you've yeah. got when you've got so many people in such a like a densely packed area, yeah. and the, the tube on its own must cause like no end yeah. of problems for these things. 
but uh, yeah no it's like we've got um we obviously on the isle of man we've got a, a few cases now um a few people hospitalized uh, i think mm-hmm. i think it's four four people hospitalized over here um and the i think the cases are in the 30s or maybe maybe 40s now i can't, yeah. I, can't I can't quite remember what the what the cases are but um I know a friend of mine uh, works as a nurse at the hospital, and they were saying um, the one of the problems is because they're on the um, the corona male corona ward over here. Uh, that is just the the amount of time it takes to do things. You know, it's it's not so so. That I I can I, I could understand when they were explaining that with how even like a small volume could like um overthrow the amount of people you have to throw at a situation just because of yeah. like you were saying before about the PPE and things like that. Yeah, so suddenly you know things that I'd never thought about before, but you know if you send someone for a CT scan, they sort of they, t- they take them away the next patient goes on the scanner. In this environment everything is needing properly cleaned. The the people that put them on the scanner need PPE, the porters that take the patient down need PPE and it just adds so much time and delay to the system. Mm. Um, so that's been interesting, trying to come up with solutions and things for that to try and be as efficient as possible. Yeah, it it must be difficult as well with with so much preparation going in for the corona um, situation to just prepare for the day to day treatment of normal patients. You know, I yeah. I've heard of the I've, I, over here. I don't know about uh, the UK. But um, where like chemotherapy treatments being cancelled for people and stuff like that, and you think, God, like yeah. if if you're going through chemo, and then you find out, oh no, it's kind of in, indefinitely on hold at the minute. You know, these must yeah. be terrible things to have to tell people and to go through. Yeah, so it's uh, I know from sort of family experience that, or my hospital as well, the people that are on chemotherapy, they're sort of continuing it or where chemotherapy is deemed to be um, curative or Mm -hmm. life-saving. Whereas for other people, everything is a risk-benefit balance and they just feel for some people the risk of chemotherapy right now outweighs the benefit. Um, But it it is very weird having these. uh, For me, what's what's really strange is um, the no visitors. Like yeah. on the one hand, the hospital's empty. I can get straight to the front queue of the canteen really quickly. And it's it, it, in a lot of ways, it makes some things very, very easy for me. <laughs> but um, when, when people are really unwell and they, they want their family there and things, it gets really difficult. You know, if, if you're not allowed visitors, and if it was someone that was young, like a son, daughter, whatever, we make exception and allow them to visit. But if it's an elderly person who has an elderly partner, it becomes tricky for them because how much risk are you exposing the elderly partner to? Um, yeah. I mean, one of my, um, I suppose fears for it. Cause, cause, I, uh, I've sort of joked with people saying, I think everybody now wakes up with a, uh, out of 10, their anxiety is at about five as a base level. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And the there was an article today I read about um, in New York where they were giving families the option to um, FaceTime relative, relatives if they passed, you know, so they could see their relatives again because the morgues are closed. Yeah, I just think like I, it 
I think it's because so these things have happened in such what feels like a short space of time. You know, like six months ago feels like a different world now to what what it was. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's uh, I, I keep uh, like saying it's it's like things feel more temporary now, where you just thought that everything like getting up, going to work, coming home, being bored of the fact that you've got to go to work in the morning. It, it all felt like that was just normal. That was the baseline of the world. And then whatever else you could do on top of that was what made it fun for you. But you realize yeah. that there isn't a baseline. That, and the, the, the whole like platform of things we have spread out for ourselves like, could just disappear. Disappear with, yeah. a, with a bowl of bat soup. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, it's very weird. I think for me... I feel like I'm in a very, very lucky position with this because in some way, every time you go to work, you stop thinking about the anxiety of your own health, your family, whatever else. Um, and you just get on with the job in front of you. Yeah. Um, and I've just been able to throw myself into my work. So not, I've not had to think about these other things so much. Um, but I know from my friends who, you know, maybe work in other fields who are now just at home that everyone's sort of describing the same sort of things you've just mentioned. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, this was. Uh, this will be for me uh, from Monday going into my fourth week of isolation because two weeks yeah. before actual lockdown happened, uh, my son went to nursery and came home with a cough and a cold. So yeah. we we were, he was tested and we were told told to stay in. So we we've had an extra two weeks of this joy. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, the. The, just the fact that days don't matter for me, uh, I think it's probably slightly better for my girlfriend because she works in finance and she can work from home. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A I'm a tradesman and yeah. uh, it's very difficult to paint other people's houses from your own house. Very yeah. difficult. Uh, Has the Christmas light thing happened yet? Uh, there's been a couple of um, trees I've seen with lights on, but I am... Um, I think everybody sort of went to themselves thinking, it's a nice idea. It's fucking stupid, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're like, everyone's got nothing to do, but we still can't yeah. be bothered to go in the loft and get the lights out for a second time. We've only just yeah, put them yeah. back up. Yeah. Uh, I, one thing I do think, if, if, there's, like, if you look at like, various silver linings to these things, because like my, um, my best friend, is he's an ex-nurse, um, and I, I used to see even when he was a student nurse and stuff like that, he, how hard he worked and how many hours he did. Uh, last year I was uh, in hospital for four weeks cause I had sepsis and, um, I, I only realized just how hard like healthcare workers work when you're lying, looking at them for four weeks. Um, yeah. I think one of the nice things is that people that maybe haven't spent sort of a lengthy time in hospital or know people that are in the uh, in the trade, uh, I think everyone's got a new respect for healthcare workers now. You know, it's it's kind of it's pushed out the people that we actually need around more than more than we, I think some people thought we did. I think for me, the the last couple of weeks have really. I respect nurses way more than I did before. Like, not that I disrespected them before, but yeah. because you can see people are scared and anxious, um, and they keep turning up, and they, I don't, for, for, in, a, in a weird way, I, I think my job's really easy, um, and I've, I've had some 
conversations with colleagues that are nurses and they're like, oh, no, it is. I, c- I can never be a doctor. And I'm like, what? I can never be a nurse. Your job is so much harder than mine. So I think you just you, you get used to what you know and you just think the other person's job is harder. But I've been, I've been really, really impressed by all my nursing colleagues, um, how hard they're working, how hard they're trying um, and just how brave they're being with all of this, because there are so many unknowns. There's that bit in your head that, you know, most likely everything will be fine for, for all of us. Um, but there's that bit in the back of your head that goes, what if I'm part of that 1%, you know? Yeah, 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 of course. Um, with you do, uh, doing stuff on disease, how, yeah. what do you think about how it started and what the, um, like China's numbers are and things like that? Do you, do, do you buy the, the, uh, the meat market spread or do you think there was something more, more nefarious behind it? Um, in a lot of ways, I, I just go with the simplest of meat market, bat, mm-hmm. pangolins, mutations, etc. Um, I think looking at sort of wider conspiracy theories, numbers not being right, all this kind of stuff, um, I'm not denying any of it, but my way of dealing with the stress is going, well, just it's happened now. What, yeah. Yeah. What, what do I need to do? Um, you know, for, for, for my hospital and my ward and all that kind of stuff. Um, cause, uh, well, yeah, I, one, I don't know what the true answers are to, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to look into it myself. Um, <laughs> well, that, uh, from a doctor, that means I'm probably definitely not smart enough to do it for myself. So, <laughs> but no, no, it's just, um, like I know, I know what I know and I know what I definitely don't know. Yeah. And, uh, I think you, you put your energy into where you can be useful. I think that's where a lot of the fears come from though, hasn't it? If this had had, yeah. have, had have originated from, uh, for, for for want of better words, like an ally country where you know, yeah. there's decent communication between us and stuff like that, yeah. um, it wouldn't be this this case of like the various videos coming out. You know, before yeah. everything seems to have disappeared from China now. You know, it's the yeah. all, all you get now is strange videos of people taking masks off in the street. Yeah, um, and I think people's reaction to that has been two different things. So while some people are becoming more worried or when it first came out you know became more worried and you know talked about the sort of nefarious things you were saying i probably went the other way i probably went eh, it's probably fine it's this thing on the other side of the world i like in my head it was like ebola or malaria there's mm. like an important thing but wasn't my problem do you know what i mean yeah um, um i, I know very much is <laughs> i can't help but think that the the answer of, of what has actually happened might be somewhere in the middle where it's a a disease that's developed out of the market and it's been almost looked at as like a a happy accident for for certain people in the C- CCP is it so if you allow this to spread and then you get on top of it quick enough quick enough mm-hmm. you can get yourself a sizable advantage on the world stage by then yeah. helping other countries. Yeah, I, I just saw um, an article before, about 15 minutes uh, before I called you, where um, France have asked for a billion masks from China and yeah. China have offered to send the masks, uh, but in return they want France to sign up to using Huawei 5G. Yeah, yeah. And you just think, well, it's. Uh, I, I know what you're doing, but this doesn't feel like it's the time for that yeah. sort of political lobbying, especially when you've got yeah. 
um, such distrust for China as well at the moment. It doesn't look good for people. Yeah, I think I, I definitely feel very, very ignorant to all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, how do I describe it? I've definitely got a little bit of cynicism when it comes to all of these things um, because I'm sure I'm sure we're not aware of the whole the whole story. Um, but yeah, in in a lot of ways, I think it doesn't. If it's not helpful to me right now, I don't I don't think about it. I used to uh, listen to a lot of, of of you know just music on the radio and things like that, and I sort of aged out of Radio One and didn't quite make the trans- transition to Radio Two. Um, so I've just been listening to lots of podcasts, and it was yourself is obviously the main one. But then I was listening to lots of news podcasts. Yeah, and since this has all kicked off. Um, I've just stopped listening to all those other ones. Yeah. Um, because if it's not helpful to the information I need today to make the decisions I need to make today, mm-hmm. then I'm not paying attention to it. Um, you know, and these are sort of questions that, that the staff in the hospital are asking about PPE, about this and that. And when you start listening to the news and the media, like you said, you just get so angry or panicked that I'm finding it not helpful. Whereas well, I'm just going to official sources and saying, right, this is this is where we're at now and this is why. Yeah, I mean, even when you have like stuff coming to you from official sources through the media, it's always coming through the vessel of a person that knows nothing apart from how to read sure. an autoprompt. Yeah. Uh, so I I've found because I mean I'm I've always been interested in like various things and there's like like you say with like SARS or Ebola and things like that and I've watched like lots of news articles and read about what was going going on with that sort of thing but there does get to a point where when something's so close to home where you go it's all I'm doing here is raising my own anxiety levels about it like, it's all it is yeah. now is just fear porn that's making me wake up at four o'clock in the morning for no apparent yeah. reason yeah so yeah, no, I, I I can completely understand that. And realistically, as far as the PPE stuff goes, um, you've got the best people around you to talk to about that. So yeah, what Sky News thinks about PPE is probably pretty redundant. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's rather than having arguments about what level of PPE is correct, it's putting my energy into making sure people are using the PPE that they do have correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's if you can't get the basics right, all of the other stuff becomes irrelevant. You can't can't complain about having a not having a Ferrari and then go out and crash your Ford. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to get it back slightly on a, a Formula One set, uh, thing, as uh-huh. a like a medical professional that's dealing with this, what do you think the chances are of us actually getting any sport back this year, in, or any sport, in, but including Formula One? Yeah. Um, I think it'll happen right at the end of the year. I hope, mm. um, just for me, that this is optimistic. If if there was if everything was cancelled for this year, I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm hoping there's stuff at the end of the year. And I've seen people discuss, you know, different things. You know, doing two races at the same track, so qualifying in a race on a Saturday and then qualifying in a race on a Sunday, um, things like that, or just just mixing up. And I and I, I hope there are things towards the end of the year. Um, but my, my honest answer is I don't know. I see. Did you see Silverstone uh, suggested running two races there and, the, and reversing the track? Yeah. So um, 
I saw, what was it? I was watching on YouTube. It was Nico Rosberg and Ant Davison talking about where could you do that and where couldn't you do it? Um, so there might be tracks where you could do it. I, I don't, I've not studied track safety design enough to know about it, but, um, I think for the situation we're in, it, w- it would be very cool to do that. Um, just at the end of the year, try and pack in as many races as you can and whether or not it counts as a championship or not, I don't know. Um, but it, it, it would just be a big relief to everyone to to have that sort of escape and things that are normal again. Yeah, again, um, you when you look at sport and uh, well, any everything, even even films and yeah. stuff that's been cancelled now, these are things that we use to to escape like modern day yeah. life when it's fine. Like if there's ever a time that we need some escapism, it's now. Yeah, and for me as well, I think like the the next. I don't know, weeks, months, whatever, are going to be very, very difficult. And if by the time we're finished, everything just kind of fizzled out, it would be a bit of a shame whereas to, to end the year on a big celebration or, you know, whenever, autumn. Um, could you imagine after all of this is finished just to have two Silverstone Grand Prix back to back Saturday yeah. and Sunday? It would just be a huge celebration. It would be, um, and, you know, whether or not they still had social distancing and half the number of seats or something, I don't know, but it, it would be a very cool way to be like, do you know what we did it? And this is, this is, this is for us now to enjoy. Yeah. Let's, let's hope we don't decide to do that. And then the second wave develops from Silverstone. Yeah. Because of it. Done outwards. <laughs> it's like, it's I'll, tell, I'll tell them it was your idea. We should have just left it till January, lad. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Our bad. <laughs> How's uh, the social distancing stuff going where you are? Um, so the hospitals, it's easy because they've stopped all the visitors, mm-hmm. um, just around where I am, uh, just going to the supermarket. It looks, um, I was surprised by how much more military it is than the hospital itself. They've got all these lines on the floor and you, you can only stand inside your box. Yeah. Um, and you have to go, they've, they've put all these arrows down. So everything's a one way system. So that seems to be good. Um, but so from from outside my window every day because because i live um salford keys i don't know if you know media city yeah and there's kids outside every day and i just i want to be that angry old man shouting out the window at them um and then one day i just broke and i there's like a text police thing you can send them and say look there's this problem going on in my area Mm -hmm. um and the guy just replied going yep it's the same problem everywhere uh i don't think we can send anyone to you but we'll try so what, um, what's the point in the message thing then <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh he was just saying the police are overwhelmed with these these sort of requests of people being everywhere um but i don't know for from my point of view i i'm going to work for 12 hours coming home sleeping going to work for 12 hours so i'm missing out on a lot it. of it yeah yeah and the 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 fact that there's no traffic uh is great i'm enjoying <laughs> that a lot <laughs> I uh, I didn't enjoy it the other day where I had to I had to go to the supermarket. I've only um, I think I've only done like three trips out since since we've been like this. Jumped in my van, yeah. turned the key, absolutely nothing. And I thought uh-huh. really need to start turning this over now and again. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh dear. Yeah, it uh, it seems to work. I, I think from where I am in the the village I live here because I mean realistically the even our sort of like major. Um, like population center on the Isle of Man is nothing more than a larger village. Yeah, 
but it's people seem to get the message over here. I'm not sure about like young people because I'm not young, so I'm not hanging around with them. Yeah, uh, but I, I do wonder whether the message was put out wrong to them because all the messages being since uh, coronavirus became a thing was, ah, oh, well, kids are fine. Yeah. And I know a lot of that must have been to alleviate worry for adults, but in relieving the the worry for the adults, it's kind of turned the outside world into Lord of the Flies. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's good, you know, celebrities and people are putting out all this stuff, stay safe, stay at home. Um, and to be fair, it is only a handful. I'm sure there's lots of kids that are inside and bored. I know, you know, my, my cousin's kids and things are all losing their minds in their homes. Mm. Um, and it is just, I think, I think we're probably jealous. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're stuck inside and we're looking at all these kids having fun. Um, yeah. But I think it is just a handful. All my nephew did was play on his Xbox all the time anyway. So I'm convinced yeah. he doesn't know anything's going on. Yeah, I'm convinced exactly. of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, if it was... <laughs> This sounds like the wrong way to start this uh, sentence, but it was really funny. My uncle had a heart attack the other day, um, but he's a, a him and his wife don't get on great. And I, when I found yeah. out he'd had a heart attack, I rang him up and said, like, I don't believe that you can't stand your wife that much. You do this so you didn't have to spend a couple of weeks in the house with her. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, thank you. Anyway, that's been that's been great. It's it, it's really no, thank it's, you so much. No, no, it's nice to speak to somebody um, uh, that's that's doing this sort of thing that you can that people can listen to that isn't like just like like I said, more fear porn. Um, anyone that wants to to look at stuff that's sort of just given good information out. I don't know if you've heard of this guy or not. It's uh, Doctor John Campbell on YouTube. Uh, I've not, I've not, I've only looked at Formula One stuff on YouTube, otherwise I'm trying to avoid oh, yeah, medical no. stuff outside the hospital. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's something for you to do in your, in your spare yeah. time, but for people that want to know more about it, that's, yeah. it's not going to just try and jam like terror down your throat. He's, yeah. he's really good. But yeah, no, thanks. thanks very much for coming and speaking to me tonight. No, and can I just say thank you to all of you guys, because I, I remember thinking, oh, the, the podcast is going to stop and i was driving to work and then i saw the first lockdown show and i thought oh this is great and it has been great and thank you guys so much for just helping out in your own way for the rest of us to stay sane while we're doing what we're doing yeah um well i mean it keeps it keeps me sane doing the podcast as well i mean obviously i do three legs four wheels i do must see audio stuff as well yeah and um it I, i i don't know what i do without having something else to do in the house. I think that that's yeah. when I would be going crazy because yeah. uh, it's, it, it's funny. There isn't the financial reward for it, but uh, as soon as I couldn't go to work, I decided, oh, well, I'm now clearly a professional podcaster. It's, yeah. not, it's not sustainable, but, it, no. <laughs> but it's, an, it's it a nice thought yeah. for a second. Um, yeah. So, yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.